I'm Jane Wheatland, and you're listening to the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining My Rock Moment today. Okay, for those of you that are fans of Tom Petty, former record promo man John Scott has a very interesting story to tell. In fact, he wrote a book about it, and it's called Tom Petty and Me. And it chronicles his journey with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, from getting them radio play in the States and making them that household name, to the very last show of their 40th anniversary tour at the Hollywood Bowl in 2017. So John writes a beautiful tribute to his good friend Tom, and John Cougar Mellencamp, another artist that John championed early on, actually writes the foreword to the book. So we're going to talk about the book today, as well as his friendship with Tom and the memorable moments they had together. So again, for all you Tom Petty fans, this episode will be an interesting one. You'll want to listen to the whole episode. Listen to the end. All right, let's get started. For all of you listening, I'm here with John Scott, who's had a long, successful career as a promo man, and before that, a DJ in Memphis. Right. But what we're here to talk about today is your close 40-year friendship and your working relationship with Tom Petty, which you beautifully recount in your book, Tom Petty and Me. Thank you. Thank you so much, because it was a tough book to write, and uh, I still, you know, sometimes haven't feel like I haven't come to to, to grip with it, yeah. Of course. I don't know why, but it's probably because I hear him on Sirius XM and he's doing the goofy voices or, uh, you know, the, the Barry Treasure show. But anyway, it's, it's still tough. It's 40 years. And, you know, when we look at these iconic musicians today, and I don't care who you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, these musicians, these artists, these bands, we forget there was a time when they weren't so famous and their talent and their quality of music was not enough to get them where they are today. They had help from people along the way. And Tom Petty and the Heartbreaker story is no different. You are the reason we hear Tom Petty on the radio today. Yeah. Tom told me that many times and, you know, it was just doing my job and I love the music and I love Tom. I love the band. Um, I was working on another book before this, actually. I didn't start this after Tom passed away. But I was working on a book about other bands that I've worked with, like The Who and Leonard Skinner and uh, Olivia Newton-John, Elton John at MCA Records. And I was, uh, Buddy and I were trying to tell different stories that people probably never heard before. Then one day I just said, I can't do this. I have to stop. I got to write about Tom. Because I had that night, uh, I was laying in bed. It was about three o'clock in the morning, and I had a dream about Tom. Happens about once every month, and he said, "Call your book Tom Petty and Me." And it was three o'clock in the morning. I think I jumped up. I went to GoDaddy, typed in TomPettyandMe.com. There it was, and it was like he's telling me to write it. So, so you switched gears. The book was about something entirely different, and. Based on the dream you have, which is another one of many serendipitous moments, you decided, 
all right, this, this book needs to be about our friendship and the yeah. illustrious career he's had and that I've been a part of. Yeah, yeah, it was a great feeling. It's a great feeling. I, I can't tell you how much it is. You know, before we dive into some of the things you talked about in the book, I want to ask you, as a friend, what Tom Petty was like. <laughs> None of that, you know, Tom Petty as written in the articles of Rolling Stone magazine and other music uh, magazines. Don't worry about I want that. your perspective on Tom Petty as a person and a friend. Well, as a person, he was an incredible person because he's, we were both in the South and we both love English music and jingly jangly music. And um, Tom was a very humble guy. And he he did a lot of things for me. Maybe we can talk later, but uh, as far as helping me out during a hurricane in Hawaii. But Tom basically is a Southern boy who's a musical genius. And um, but he can be funny too. I mean, outrageous funny. And so you would sometimes you would walk into his house and he would say, "Sizzling Memphis Natural John Scott." <laughs> Tom. Tom would say he's a redneck, probably, which is fine, because if you look at him, listen to him on the uh, TV shows that he's been on, it's just actually goofy uh, voices from the South. And that's the kind of guy he was. You go to his house, you weren't serious about anything. You were there listening to music or talk or whatever. But he was a very humble guy. But I, I would say, in general, we were goofy guys. And Tom was a musical guy with a genius background. note I want to I want to jump into a little bit about the book because I I want to go back um you know for everybody listening it is a fun fun read it's also an emotional read um but I want to set the story because a lot of people may not know what a promo man is it's not an easy job by any means I'll tell you I'll tell you worth his weight will not tell you it's an easy job because you've got to be there you've got to show up you got to you've got to get a connection with an artist, which is tough sometimes. Sure. Um, yeah. So you had to love the music, and you had to know how to sell it, and wine and dine, and be a people person all at once. And yeah, listen to not promoting bad records. <laughs> I mean, Keith Moon had a um, album out called uh, Two Sides of the Moon," and to me, Keith, I'm sorry if he hears me. Um, it was a terrible album, and we had to promote it. Yeah. And no, jocks were coming up to me going, we can't play this record, John. It's terrible. And it turns out it was a two-day marathon recording of a bunch of good musicians, Ricky Nelson, and uh, I think Brian Wilson was there, but the mm -hmm. songs are just awful. Keith cannot sing. He didn't play drums. He sang. And we came up with um, <laughs> a few goofy ideas of how to promote that record <laughs> I, I, I don't, well you don't need to know <laughs> well I mean but when you got behind an album so for example you were working at MCA records and you were pushing um John Cougar Mellencamp 
right. who you who you believed in, who you loved, right. and MCA felt differently, right? Oh yeah, they did not like Johnny Cougar. Uh, there, was a, there was a few of us that did, but I think. When his first meeting was out at MCA in the Universal Tower, he told the head of international to go fuck himself. And they kind of his, his manager was Tony DeFries, who was David Bowie's manager. And David had just dropped Tony DeFries. And um, when I heard the name Tony DeFries, uh, I knew that was David Bowie. So something had to be there. But but MCA Records was not on board, so you left. I did. Well, I got booted. I got booted. <laughs> Come on. The guy who would rent a cougar, a live cougar, to go take around Los Angeles to try to promote Johnny Cougar. I mean, they gave me hell. So, they, yeah, they fired me. And, and uh, man, it was like, oh, man, the universal lot. I'm, lo- I'm leaving. This is the greatest place in the world. And um, I get a call from a guy at ABC Records named Charlie Miner, who's probably one of the greatest promotion men in the record business, probably pretty close. And uh, offered me a job to be head of album promotion for ABC. And I, I've been out of job for 30 days. So I'm like all over that. I go to work for Charlie. We knew each other in the South. He was a promoter too. And um, Monday, I get there Monday. And he's in the parking lot. And uh, I have like an old Leonard Skinner t-shirt on and jeans. And he's going, you know, John, don't, he's got an Armani suit, suit and <laughs> Jaguar or whatever. So he, yeah, he was the guy. I mean, he walked in the building and the whole building just, they, they adored Charlie Miner. And anyway, I think Charlie, when, when I got there, he would talk to me about my job. And then um, he would make me, he, he made me raise my right hand and say, John, you will never do another Johnny Cougar stunt again. Okay. Because if you do, <laughs> you're going to get fired. And uh, if we're going to drop a band, uh, let us decide that. Okay. You have to raise your right hand. I remember uh, driving uh, off of Ventura Freeway up into um, uh, not Laurel Canyon, but one of the one of the one of the canyons, and I could see the MCA Tower back there, and I just you know stuck my middle middle finger. Up. <laughs> and so anyway, so I said, he said, well, um, you have nothing to work, so just make some phone calls to, me, to your friends, tell them where you are, and and um, call some radio stations, tell them where you are, and meet the local staff. So um, I went to lunch after doing work on the phones, talking to people. And uh, I opened my, my closet door and and an album fell down in a white jacket. Wow. And which I've seen before, but I opened the vinyl and pulled it out and there's nothing on that. It doesn't say who it is. Uh, doesn't have a song title track. And I said, well, I got to sit down and listen to this because I'm a radio guy. And so I hear rocking around with you and I'm going, shit, that's pretty good. And then breakdown comes on. It's like, oh my God, who are these guys? Who are these guys? That's incredible. That's an incredible song. And then you get to American Girl and say, forget it. Oh my God. You know exactly in your heart. That record was bigger than big. And um there was no name on the vinyl, nothing. Nothing. It was nothing. It was like like I was supposed to pick this record up. I was supposed to put it on the turntable. It was supposed to fall out of the closet. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of things in my life have happened serendipitously. And uh, some people believe in that and some people don't. But uh, I do believe in serendipity that I got fired and I got hired at the right time. And I came across this album. Yeah. Yeah. I came across the vinyl and um, 
put it on and actually then I closed my door and locked it and got the headphones on and put it on again because I go, I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. And I'm going, I guess this song's called Breakdown, right? And the next song. And oh, I guess that's American Girl. I don't know. I'm just guessing these titles. And it blows me away even more the second time. And I run to my boss and he said, uh, I said, who are these guys? And took the record, put it on the turntable and said, oh, that's a punk band, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Punk and band. What do, you, what do you mean, punk band? He said, John, I hear pulls the real cover down. Look at this guy. He's got black leather jacket on, bullets around his neck, <laughs> long stringy blonde hair, smirk on his face. Radio's telling us it's a punk band. And I'm kind of just like, you know, going to myself, <laughs> you can't be saying that, man. And they've only, the record had been out for eight months when I picked it up, that record up. And he said it's only sold 12,000 copies and we're going to drop them in six weeks. And I just begged him to give me six weeks to do what I could do. And um, I was prepared to, you know, if I didn't do it, I'd, if I got fired, whatever, I didn't, I, I, I just knew when I heard the record. Because I had goosebumps all over my arm on every song. Uh, yeah, and I look back at that first album sometimes, and I, I think th this doesn't sound like a, a debut band album. It sounds like a matured band album. American Girl, are you kidding me? That's not, I know. A, not a new band. That's a freaking band that, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, it's a masterpiece of a song. Masterpiece. So is Breakdown. So is Breakdown. A live version of Breakdown, I think, is what really broke Tom's career that we did. We did a live version for a radio station at Capitol Record Recording Studios. And I told him before, I just need a live breakdown of Sinton stations that had already been playing, Tom. There were quite, some, quite a few stations in San Francisco, Boston, Chicago, San Jose. were playing the record, but people I would call, radio guys, they'd say, is that that punk band? Or is that the record somebody promoted me eight months ago? So it wasn't, that wasn't easy. But again, serendipity jumped in because next day, a guy, a friend of mine for a long time, his name is Charlie Kendall, becomes the music director of a station called K-West, a brand new station in Los Angeles. And they're going to go, they were going to go up against KMET and K-Rock, but pretty tough thing to do. But um and I, I called him up to see how he's doing. And he says, just moving in. I said, this is, you know, it's a stereo setup. Yeah. Okay. I ran over to his house, his apartment, actually, on the Sunset Strip. And uh, I said, man, you're going to love this album. I, I actually had the real cover <laughs> this time. Anyway, <laughs> um, and he, he, he put headphones on. And he, he turned around to this glaze like, who the hell is this band? This band is freaking mind-blowing. These songs are unbelievable. And so I knew I was on to something. And he said, are they any good live? I went, I don't know. I just picked up the record three days ago by accident. And uh, I said, but they're playing the whiskey this coming Saturday by chance. Incredible. For Blondie. And we said, we're both going. <laughs> we're going to see this guy, Tom Petty, live and hope that he's not a punk band. Yeah. 
Well, an opening for Blondie too. It's like it could go either way. No, you're right. No, you're exactly right. And um, so we go and and um, maybe there's 15 people in the whiskey. I don't know, not many. Word really hadn't gotten out that Tom Petty was the star yet. And uh, play, he played a 30-minute set, no encore. And Charlie and I looked at each other. Oh, Charlie had leaned over and said, I'm going to start playing Breakdown once an hour, every hour, starting on Monday morning. And for a promotion guy, that's like heaven, you know. Uh, and he was serious. So we said, we got to go meet this guy, Tom Petty. And, of course, there's no security at the, at the, at the whiskey. And so he's over drying his face off with a towel and, and I went, Tom, I'm John Scott, the new guy from album guy from ABC Records. He went, I don't give a fuck who you are. Get out of here. And I went, whoa. <laughs> he said, we hate your label. They've done nothing for us for eight months. And I said, well, you know, I don't know the history of this whole thing, but um, I love your music. And uh, he, he he wanted us escorted out because he said, ABC's done nothing. And I just looked at him real funny and said, well, I'm going to break your career wide open. How's that? And the whole band is laughing, you know, like, oh, here comes this another another ABC nut job, he called me. And then he's pointing out again, and I get closer to the edge of the door. And I just say, I turn around him for some reason that I know why, but I didn't know why at the time. Hey, Tom Petty, my name is John Scott. And when you hear your record on the radio, you're going to remember every day my name. Anyway, and he threw us out the whiskey. <laughs> and we were, actually, we got a, Charlie and I were kind of happy about it because we knew what was about to happen. We just knew once he started playing Breakdown. And something did happen. He he, started, he played it once an hour every hour. I started on Monday. His, Tom's manager, Tony Dimitriotis, called me up and said, who, who the fuck are you? And I said, well, I'm the new guy at ABC, and uh, I want to break Tom's career. And he would say, you know what? You've pissed off my artist. Um, you tell, you're telling him you can break his band. You know you can't do it. ABC's done shit for us. And uh, I said, well, that's just what I'm telling you. It's going to happen. And he he hung up. And uh, on Friday, Tom called me. And I was kind of going, oh, God, he could just, you know, be good or bad on the call. And uh, a second Southern voice comes on. He said, John, I just want to apologize for um, throwing you out of whiskey the other night because my friends are hearing the record on the radio, like you said. Are you serious about what you said? You are going to break my career. And I said, Tom, I'm going to break your career wide open. And he said, can you come over to my house tonight? And he was living near a freeway, too, running through the yard. <laughs> yeah. Free falling. <laughs> yeah. And I jumped over there and I walked in and saw a Confederate flag on the wall. We didn't really, I don't think we really realized what a Confederate flag stood for because they never taught it to us in school. I mean, I was like, who won the war? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And um, so we started talking, went outside, and we got to the point when we uh, smoked another uh, joint. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. And so uh, we were just making small talk, and I was telling about where I was born. And actually, I was born in Florida as well. But I moved to Memphis like three days later, but I was born in Florida. He said, so you're from Florida? I went, yeah. He said, uh, I said, well, you've been in, have you ever been in any other bands I might know? He said, yeah, you never heard them. They're called Mud Crunch. 
And I went, Depot Street? And Tom goes, how the hell do you know <laughs> Depot Street by Mud Crutch? They dropped us from, MCA dropped us for, after this one record. And I told him the story about uh, getting hit that song on, uh, on the radio because I liked it. I was with Olivia Newton-John. She liked it. And she said, but the name's kind of weird. It's Mud Crutch. <laughs> and I, I went to the station and got it played. It was really one of the first records I think I had uh, promoted. And, and at one point, we just stared at each other. And it's kind of one of those things like <laughs> five-second stare, like, you're you're telling me you know Mud Crutch, and you're going to tell me you're break you're going to break my career. And I asked him if he had anything new to play that had been working on. And he said, "Yeah, come on in." And he played "Listen to Her Heart," and Mike Campbell's guitars right away it just blast you. And I'm going, "Holy crap! This this is pretty much as better than what's on the first album." I made him play it for about five times, and uh, <laughs> anyway, and then we I left and. Um, the next day became a new day because some more radio stations started adding Tom Petty. There were, there were a lot of antics that you guys did. Um, I know you said you did Breakdown at Capitol Records live yeah. to send that out. But then you also did, um, it was like a 15,000 person listener party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I read and I thought, oh my God, that's brilliant. You know, to get people to winners from the radio station to right. come or wieners as you called them. <laughs> and Tom was totally game. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the, actually the guy, I'm not sure if this is in the book or not, but um, Sky Daniels called up and, and asked me that question. And I said, well, I'll run it by the label. And it was really Sky's idea to do this for a promotion at a new station he started working at the Loop in Chicago. And um, and uh, I think Tony called Tom and Tom said, uh, well, we've pissed off, the, I mean, his manager said, we pissed off the other FM station in town. They dropped the record because we made a deal with the Loop. And he said, well, fuck them. I, you know, I, if, if they'd come to me with the idea, I would have done it for them. But anyway, it was a tremendous success and probably one of the biggest audiences that Tom played in front of, I believe. And, um, man, people came out of that gymnasium, auditorium, whatever it is, and just had this, you know, look on their face like, holy crap. I just saw something really good, really innovative and new. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind 
and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Okay, guys, let's get back to the interview. And I know that he was, you left ABC Records and he was very unhappy with ABC Records. And in order to get out of his contract with them, he filed bankruptcy. Right. Which was incredible to me. I mean, <laughs> to, to say, you know what, if this is how we can get out of this, I'm just going to file bankruptcy. Let's start over. Mm -hmm. So yeah. both of you left and you went to um, Backstreet Records, which was a subsidiary well, of MCA, right? Yeah. Well, first of all, I went to Capricorn Records for about a year. And that right. was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> bunch of people. But um, <laughs> yeah, and they, they filed for bankruptcy too at one point when I was working nice. there. And oh. at, about that time, Tony Dimitriotis called and said, hey, we got to new label here that wants to you know get us out of all our debts and we want you to be the head of promotion and i was going these guys just fired me uh tony they're probably gonna do the same thing again he says now you're running the show it's you tell them what to do and um i accepted and heard the well cameron crow actually was one of the guys who the, the guy who who the label was the backstreet records was danny bramson and he was close friends with Cameron Crowe. Danny used to book the MCA Universal uh, lot. I mean, the tour, the concerts outside. It was open air. And he was doing really good booking the right bands. And he became really, he was like, um, to the higher guys, he was like the guy. Anyway, Cameron Crowe turned Danny Ramson on to Tom Petty. I think Cameron was there the night at the Whiskey when he played. And... Uh, it was it was also we were just like uh, became real friends real quick because of the love of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and uh, and being around Cameron was pretty cool and being around Danny was pretty cool and it was just the three of us and one day we heard Dan Torpedoes and um, we must have listened to that record a hundred times and, and, and wow knew that this was like holy crap this is this is the album this is it. This is Tom's breakthrough album, and and it was because radio stations were playing about five songs uh, at one time on, off that album. FM radio stations, I think it, I need to know was the first single, but but FM stations were just all over it. So a, a, ABC um, had to commit to re-sign them. And part that's, of the contract was to bring you along, right? Th that's pretty. That's pretty special to me. Yeah. And uh, of course, I went yes, and. And we the day was like sometimes Tom would come over and we just sit in the, in the office listening and listening and listening and we asked for with the moon <clears throat> you know we want <laughs> red vinyl blue vinyl posters whatever whatever promotion item I could think of and they would be like, okay no problem but I, there are moments with subsequent albums that I was reading about in the book 
that I absolutely love. You orchestrated a <laughs> ring in the new year with Tom Petty as well at your house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're taking chances now <laughs> with a bunch of fans that got to come and ring in the new year with Tom Petty and his wife. And I, I was reading about how you orchestrated it so that all these, each fan got to come in and talk to Tom for about five minutes. First yeah, all, that sounds room between them, the, those two winners and Tom. It's and, incredible. And at first, we had to do that because at first, everybody was kind of you know crowding around to me, asking questions, and I just said, well, you know, you got to come into my office, and we just got to do this. And but and it was special because he took pictures. They took pictures, and you know, got to ask him questions. And oh, yeah, I was kind of shocked that they went for that that um, idea. But MCA had to pay for everything as far as. Um, food and but um yeah man and ricky nelson had died that night in a plane crash and tom was a huge ricky nelson fan and he was he was was it was a bad day for him but he he pulled it off these listeners just fell in love with him as you can imagine and we had no problems and rang in the new new year and tom left and then we had people i think about 50 people on a bus and um, we were behind guard, gate guard, uh, guarded gate community, and so it didn't really, um, you know, cause any problems in the neighborhood. Wow. But yeah, that was a fun. And we sat around afterwards. <laughs> my wife and I, my, my daughter, was going, "Wow, <laughs> just incredible." <laughs> and <laughs> I don't think a lot of people do these things anymore. No. <laughs> I want to talk about you hearing for the first time mm-hmm. full moon fever mm-hmm. in 1989. I think you went over to Tom's house and he I played did. it for you. It was, his, it was rented house. His house had just burned down a few weeks before and he was renting a house right behind it, um, which is a pretty traumatic moment in his life. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, he would usually, call me and, and say, come over and, and listen to the sequencing of the songs and tell me what you think. And, you know, sometimes it was the same or sometimes it was different, whatever. But um, he really liked that, that feedback from people he believed in and trusted and um, sat me down in front of the speakers. And it, I can't, what's the first song on, on that album? Um, Free Falling, I don't know, I can't remember. I just remember being like lifted into space over the, over the San Fernando Valley. And uh, it was one of those moments, it was real special. <clears throat> and you got, what do you got, running down a dream? and I won't back uh, down. I won't back down. I've read that when you heard um, Free Fallen for the first time, when you were listening yeah. to Full Moon Fever, that that just, that song just blew you away. Blew me away, yeah. I told you I was transported you know, all over the valley. And it wasn't because I was high. No, <laughs> I was not, and it just took me, man, and just uh, and then every every song after is better and better and better and better, yeah. and and so I turned to him and said, Tom, this is probably one of the greatest records you've ever done, and he thanked me and said, but we have a problem. MCA doesn't want to put it out. They don't think there's any hits on that album. Jeez, and you're kind of going to yourself, huh? Come on, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Running down a dream, free falling. Oh, it, yeah. they. They didn't and, know what they were talking about when it came to Tom Petty. No, they didn't. 
and a lot of record companies that way. Well, Tom could be, you know, he could be pretty fearless, but um, he said, you used to work at MCA. Can you, um, you know, any of the guys over there? So a new guy, he was had a album promotion and he just got there about three weeks ago and he'd been bugging me about introducing him to Tom. So I invited him over to hear the, the Full Moon Fever album. And he, like me, we sat in front of these massive speakers and he turned around basically and said, my God, Tom, that is an inc- one incredible album. And he said, well, we got problems. And he told him the story. And, and his name was John High. He was a great promotion guy. He said, I want to take care of this. And as the story goes, the next day at a meeting, a uh, big conference room, you know, big, you know, big uh, table. And, and the president said, anybody got anything else to say? And he said, yeah. And he got on the table and jumped up and down like a crazy guy saying, who, who the hell doesn't think Tom Petty has any hits on this record? You guys get that record out now. And he didn't care what he was doing. He was just, you know, he did what he was supposed to do. And that record came out the way it was. But can you imagine that? I mean. <laughs> no, because I can tell you as a young girl hearing, hearing Free Falling for the first time. I mean, those songs are all great, but hearing Free Falling specifically. Yeah. That had the same effect on me. It absolutely transported me. To this day, it is not only my favorite Tom Petty song, it is one of my favorite songs of all time. Wow. Well, I understand why. I mean, I kind of had that sensation you had, maybe not as strong as you, but boy, I was got I was gliding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just gliding in the space. <laughs> I was a young girl and I knew I knew where Mulholland was. I had an idea of where Reseda was. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and you know, with the freeway running through the yard. Exactly. (laughs) No, it just hit home. It just hit home. She's a good girl. Loves her mama. Loves Jesus. In America, too. She's a good girl. Crazy about Elvis, loves horses, and her boyfriend too. You know, I, I there are so many moments that you have with Tom in this book, and I, I just want to cover a few of them. First of all, his obsession with the fax machine was hilarious. <laughs> and I love this. And you guys need to get the book because, you know, you essentially turned him on to fax machines at the time, which was huge. Yeah. This is pre-email and everything. Right. And he would send you these faxes for a period of time on the regular that had funny sayings, that had drawings. And you really got this intimate look and who Tom Petty was, like you said, this jokester, this prankster. I mean, it was gold. Every day, every one of those faxes have some little something funny in them, and uh, that was Tom. You're right, that was him. And uh, and then then um, we kept doing it, and we were the only two. I was the only person I knew who had a fax machine, and vice versa at the time. And so we just started sending stuff out, and then um, to each other and be having fun. And and then I came up with this idea. Well, what if we use this as a promotional tour for the Wilburys album? Just fax, start faxing radio stations and make them all different. And he, he faxed 100 radio stations and signed it Charlie T. Wilbury, Jr. 
And uh, they all had Wilbury names. Yeah. Yeah. And I would get a phone call sometimes from a guy in a radio station said, we just got a fax. Is that really Tom Petty? And they would fax him back. And he collect, he, he saved all those. It was like flipping out. <laughs> he said, this is the craziest thing. And they would write little radio stations would write little notes on there. Hey, Tom, anytime you're near Charleston, South Carolina, <laughs> come on by the station, whatever. And, um, and a lot, I, a lot of people still have the faxes, and I've still got the actual uh, thermal paper, and I've got it pretty preserved, pretty good, because those faxes are really special. And you, you're right, you feel like you really know him now, mm-hmm. you know, just just by he had sadness with Roy Orbison and that, some of those faxes, and some yeah. of those about the Dodgers, and some of them were just crazy. Yeah, I mean, look, you can. You can read about someone. Um, you can watch again, like I mentioned, interviews. You can get those stupid behind this music documentaries. Right. But it's never the full picture. And I'm not saying yeah. you can always tell the full picture, but seeing those faxes, seeing his handwriting, seeing the jokes that he made, it was lovely. You know, it, I, I, re- that was one of my favorite parts of the book. It's hard to believe I mean, that some guy that as cool as him, as genius as he was, he had time to, to, to have a little fun. Yeah. But you got to do. Yeah. And, and another moment I love speaking of fun is when you became the DJ at, uh, <laughs> at KCSN and you invited him on. And now you did this just kind of as like a for fun type gig, right? It was oh, yeah. sandwiched between country rock and classical. And it was like the 12 to 6 a.m. hour or something random. And he came on as your first guest. <laughs> and you guys got caught in the Cal State, what was it? In the Northridge, because it was at Cal State University Northridge. Yeah, it's on the campus. The campus. You got caught by campus police smoking pot. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen campus police like that, but yeah, that, that was great. And I'm telling Tom, throw the throw the roach out the window, Tom. Throw it out, and, and the guy pulled up and you know said, um, "What are you guys doing here? Well, we're going looking for the radio station. Who's that over there? That's uh, Tom Petty. That's not Tom Petty." And the officer ran around the front side of the car, and Tom rolled his down and went, well, son of a gun, that's Tom Petty. And <laughs> he he made him, he said had him sign something and he he guided us to the station. And he <laughs> was my first guest at KCSN. KCSN is still rocking. I mean, yeah. uh, for a point there, it was country only or classical. And that's how the, it started out at midnight. Um, a bunch of volunteers started playing music and had guests on the show. And we could, it's like, basically, we could do whatever we wanted to do. But that was, that was fun. That's when people wanted to have fun, wanted to come on the radio, wanted to, you know, be a part of the whole thing. And um, I don't know if we're still seeing that again or not. I don't think so. But But can you imagine them asking you, oh, if you know, I mean, treating you like you were some newbie saying, oh, and if you know any rock stars, bring them (laughs) Oh, I know a few. <laughs> I'll well, there's show one up I, with one. <laughs> there's one I knew I could call in time ago. Well, yeah, sure. Just pick, pick me up. And, and uh, what what year was that? That was 19, I want to say it's 1980, I believe. Um, well, my yeah, my first show was in 1980. And I'd, I'd started listening to the station at night because there was nothing else on the radio at the time. And 
they were a classical music station. All of a sudden, I heard rock music coming out of the station, and it was good. And so I called and said, hey, I want to be a DJ, a volunteer DJ. And, um, well, what have you done? And blah, blah, blah. And can you get any stars there to interview? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, Tom, I went back and picked up Tom, and he blew him away. I, I, I think I was doing a, an air check. And I mean, a, yeah, an air check, because they were seeing if I could actually get, you know, do something. And I'd been on the radio before, and, and then bringing Tom with me uh, just sealed the job. We had, uh, we had such <laughs> a, first, a great first time on the air, too. I want to jump to September 25th, 2017 now. That was the very last date Tom played of his 40th anniversary tour. And Mm -hmm. he ended it at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles. And it was on his his adopted home turf. And you went. Yeah. He played three nights, Friday, Saturday. I didn't go to any one of those shows. I don't know why. I just wanted to go to one because I knew it was going to be possibly his last show because there was rumors and you know that we might do a wildflowers tour but we, we don't we don't know if, and i wanted if it was the last one i wanted to see the last one so i went and um sirius xm asked me to do an interview tom's wife dana told me this at more memorial service that tom got in the car about that six o'clock when i was on the air and he heard the whole interview that i did and he said she said he turned to me and said that hit me right in the heart. What did you say? And um, so I'm sitting there, fourth song, and here comes Tom telling the story about, kind of told the story of what really happened. It was one of the greatest times in my life because I was kind of crying and I was kind of going, I can't believe he did that. And then a week later, he's, he's, he's gone. One friend in particular I, I want to dedicate this next song to is a guy named John Scott. You don't know him, but... Six weeks before our first record was dropped by ABC Records, he went to the radio stations with a vengeance and brought that sucker onto the charts. And we... And it wasn't easy. We're forever grateful. We're gonna dedicate this to him tonight. This is I Won't Back Down. beautiful book you wrote a, a beautiful tribute to a friend oh my gosh that makes me feel so good i mean i, I really appreciate that i'm a first-time writer and i know i made you know, a few mistakes but every bit of what I, what I wrote was true and i wanted it to show tom like you were talking about like who is who is who really is tom petty yeah and he kind of walked sometimes it's like how a band gets from zero to a hundred you know not many people realize in between what happens Right, exactly. And, well, um, it's a fun and easy read, and it provides a perspective, I can guarantee, that Tom Petty fans do not have. It's great to be able to bring you on and allow you to tell your story and promote the book, because I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy it. TomPettyandMe.com, and we're going to have that in the show notes as well, Tom, yeah. the, you know, the website, so people can go and they can buy the book. One thing you do mention in the book before it ends is that when that concert ended, 
there was a moment when Tom stayed out on stage without the band. Right. And he thanked everyone and he was shaking hands with some of the fans. And it was almost like maybe he knew. I, I think you, I think you're right. I really do. I've never seen him do that before in my life. Usually, he's the first one off the stage, first one in the limo, and gone. You know, when he got to a certain point in his career, uh, because he did, he 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 was a shy guy. Tom was really shy about being around a lot of people. Yeah, that's a good point. I I I, I thought about that one time, but you know, I, I went maybe maybe not. But I think you're right. To be honest with you, you never know. But it's oh, a beautiful beautiful way to end the book. Thank so, you so much. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much. From my heart, I mean that. Well, I certainly have a new appreciation for Tom Petty, not just as an artist, but as a human. So thank you, John Scott, for telling your story. And guys, you can find a link to the book in the show notes. It's a fun read. It's a quick read. I definitely recommend it. And if you guys liked this episode, please don't forget to subscribe. Or if you have a moment, leave a review. And definitely follow me on Instagram at LA Woman Rocks, where we pay homage to all the great music of the 60s, 70s, and 80s with rare behind-the-scenes classic rock photos. And there are a lot of great backstories on those photos in there as well. So that's it for now. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the next episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.